Hello, everybody, and welcome to Prime Time with Sean Mooney. I hope you have had a great start to your new year and that you enjoyed our best of episode. Uh, we really had a great time putting it together because I love going back and listening to all those conversations we had with all of our great guests. And I hope that you're continuing to spread the word about the podcast. And I tell you, you know, when you talk to people about primetime, uh, tell them to first check out the best of episode because that way they'll get a good taste of what this podcast is all about. And of course, in the meantime, they will hear from some of the greatest wrestling personalities all in about two and a half hours. Then, of course, they can go back and listen to all 29 episodes and get caught up, you know, get right up to date because we've got a lot more coming in 2018. And we have not missed a beat in this new year. Another great guest joins us on this episode, a man who's part of the great wrestling family, the Poffos. Lanny Poffo is my guest, the brother of the late, great Randy Poffo, or rather the macho man Randy Savage. Uh, Lanny is really, you know, he's a fascinating individual, and uh, he has a lot to share about his time in the WWF slash WWE. Talks a lot about his brother, some great stories, some I've never heard before. Uh, that is all on the way. Uh, once again, I want to remind everybody to go to our Facebook page, Primetime with Sean Mooney, and like us if you haven't already. It is a great place to find out about our, our next guests, and you can submit your questions there. Also, comments. So uh, check us out on Facebook. You can also reach me on Twitter, at Sean Mooney Who, at Sean Mooney Who. Uh, reach out to me. I will reach back. Now it's time to get to the best part of this podcast, the conversation, as I like to refer to it. Now, when you think of my guest this week, the first word that comes to my mind is unique. There is certainly uh, no one like him uh, back then or to this day among the ranks of superstars in the 80s and the 90s. It is great to welcome Lanny Poffo to the podcast. Lanny, thanks for coming on. It's been a while. I am the genius full of glory and renown, and this is my chance to live in the past. I was hoping you would start with a, a poem or something. Uh, you know, I always uh, wished, Lanny, that somehow I would be included in a poem back then, but I never quite made it. So, you know, maybe, uh, you know, in the future here, at some point, you can uh, write one up for me, and then I will be able to put it on the podcast and say that I finally uh, had a genius, the genius, uh, comprise a poem for me. So maybe maybe you can well, do that. Put that on the list. I'm gonna I'm gonna do <laughs> such a good interview for you that you're gonna demand me to come back, and then I'll write you that poem. Okay, that's that's uh, that's a deal right there. Uh, you know, Lanny, you had uh, a few gimmicks gimmicks along the way, but you know, uh, you were best known as Leaping Lanny Poffo, and then of course the Genius. And you know, I have to say, work uh, watching you work back in the day, I know all of that wasn't a work. I mean, I remember. You had this incredible ability, uh, a great memory that you could recite these incredibly long monologues. Uh, I mean, what were you? Did you have this really high IQ that uh, you know that it wasn't just a gimmick, or well, have a high, a high IQ? I should say. Well, when you come when you compare me to guys like, um, well, I don't want to speak ill of the dead, but some of these guys, um, you couldn't even get to the town. <laughs> and they needed help to do that. You know, I say compared to a wrestler, yes, I was. Uh, but um, I graduated in the top of the in the in the half of the class that made the top half possible. I was an underachiever <laughs> in school, and I and I did absolutely the minimum amount to just get by. Now, 
I was good at foreign languages. I was good at history and uh, very good at English, of course, creative writing. But math was totally nothing. And I, of course, refusing to try also helped. But yeah. now I have an iPhone that has a calculator and I can solve any equation. Yeah. Well, then we also have Google, so we don't even need to know anything. We got eight seconds. We can get the answer, right? Yeah. And another thing, I got GPS. Boy, I tell you, (laughs) I don't even have to uh, think. I can just obey. And it forgives you if you make a mistake. Recalculating world. Yeah, exactly. I love my iPhone. I got the iPhone X or iPhone X, whatever you call it. Of course, what else would a genius have than than the X phone? Uh, but that surprises me that you weren't a good student. I, I wasn't really. I was kidding about the you know the uh, genius high IQ or something. But I I thought well, I bet he was a really good student. That's not the case. No, it wasn't. Macho Man was on the uh, inter- uh, Macho Man was on the National Honor Society. Really, and uh, he never let me forget it. And <laughs> so, no, I was. Um, I did enough to, I never flunked a course, but I never did any homework because I thought it was ridiculous. And I, if I had it to do over again, I would have given even less effort. Really? Well, you, you must've been, uh, at least, uh, book smart. I mean, you, you, you wouldn't have uh, been able to recite all those monologues and, uh, you know, uh, if, if you didn't, were, were you, you know, did you, uh, were you book smart? Did you read a lot or what, what, where did you get all that? Well, let me give you a little example. Washington, Adams, Jefferson, Madison, Monroe, John Quincy, Adams, Jackson, Van Buren, Harrison, Tyler, Polk, Taylor, Fillmore, Pierce, Buchanan, Lincoln, Johnson, Grant, Hayes, Garfield, Arthur, Cleveland, Harrison, Cleveland, McKinley, Roosevelt, Taft, Wilson, Harding, Coolidge, Hoover, Roosevelt, Truman, Eisenhower, Kennedy, Johnson, Nixon, Ford, Carter, Reagan, Bush, um, and then uh, then they had this guy Clinton mm-hmm. and George W. Bush, mm-hmm. and then Obama. Now Trump. So um, got the two Bushes in there. Yeah. Well, yeah, now I, what? I, when my daughter was five years old, I literally taught her to recite that, yeah. and I turned her from a normal little girl to a stuttering bedwetter. But <laughs> <laughs> talk about pressure, now, Dad. <laughs> yes, but now, but now she has made me. She's going to be thirty-four in May twenty-ninth. She was married about four years ago, uh-huh. and um, as of as of March eighteenth, I have become an abuelo. Really, for all of our yes, uh, I, Spanish-speaking people, he's a grandfather. That's uh, fantastic. Congratulations. See, my, little... they asked me what I wanted to be called, and I said, "Well, my 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 Italian grandparents were Nono and Nonna." And my Jewish grandparents were Zadie and Bubby. Uh-huh. And I don't want to be either of those. So I said, Abuelo sounds cool. Yeah. Well, that's great. Uh, you know, you, you mentioned your brother, uh, Randy Poffo. Of course, we know him as uh, Randy Savage, the macho man, um, who reached incredible heights in professional wrestling. Uh, with that came a lot of opportunity for you as well. Uh, but before we get to all that, Lanny, I want to know about the Poffo family. Because you guys are second generation in the business. Uh, your dad, of course, Angelo, who was a big name in the early days of those territories and beyond. Um, you know, tell, me, tell me about the Pafos. Well, I have to be the luckiest guy in the world. Because not only was I the son of Angelo Papo, 
but I was the brother of the macho men. And Sean, I would not be interesting enough to talk to if it wasn't for those two things. <laughs> there is no self-made man. That's the truth. Nobody ever gets anywhere on their own. And if Macho Man were here, he would give all the credit to, you know, our father. And yeah. of course, and uh, he said he wouldn't have made it without my mom. And my mother died June 3rd of, of uh, 2017. Mm. And uh, she lived to be 90. But I must relate to you that um, she was never the same uh, in 2010, March 4th. You know, she was married 61 years when my dad died. Yeah. And, uh, you know, um, when my brother died, she collapsed to nothing. Yeah. And uh, about three months into it, I sold my house and I went to live with her. And I said, do you want to live or do you want to die? She says, I want to live. I said, then notify your face. Oh, yeah. And she says, but I can't, I can't. She says, I said, then fake it till you make it. Uh-huh. Because if you're not going to be happy, there's no point in going on. So I got her step by step. I tried and I tried. And she at least got to the part where she was trying, you know. And she lived six more years, but it was a cruel fate. Um, it was lucky that my father got to got to expire, you know, one year before my brother did. Yeah. But I did my best with her. And, you know, um, of course, it's just we don't die in the right order. That's just sad. But, yeah. um, I did, you know, I did what I could and I was very lucky to have the greatest parents in the world and the greatest brother. And I missed them all three every day. Yeah. And, and that must've just been incredible grief for your mother. You talk about her uh, spending what, 60 years with your dad. And then, uh, you're not supposed to lose a son. And, um, you know, I, I imagine that that was really a really difficult time. But I, I'm I'm glad that you you know had the time that you did with her in those remaining years, um, that you were there for her. Well, I understand she was there for me during some messy diapers. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Uh, let's go back though to those early days. Um, you, you're, I, I guess in your mind, your father was always involved in the business. Is that is that the way it was uh, as early as you can remember? Professional wrestling was part of your life. Right. And, you know, my father was just like me in the sense that um, sometimes I can keep talking after I make my points. And that's where you have to moderate and, you know, you know stop the filibuster if you want to have a good interview. So um, the thing is, my, I was, my brother was born November 15th, 1952. And he was born in Columbus, Ohio, because my father was working for Al Haft, the promoter, in yeah. the Ohio Territory. Okay. And then uh, I was born in December 28th, 1954. I just turned 63. Do the math. Yep. And um, I look every day of it, too. I'm just kidding. <laughs> so, so anyway, uh, he was working for Stu Hart. And in fact, my mother and, and Helen Hart were pregnant at the same time. And um, she was pregnant with Ellie who would go on to marry Jim Neidhart and I, you know, and my mom was pregnant with me at the time. Yeah. So it's quite a, it's quite an interesting scoop that you just earned. Yeah. On your show. Right there. Um, uh, you know, the thing is you mentioned now, I, that Ra- Randy was what, two years older, right? 
Two years and a month. Two years, okay. Um, so he was born in Columbus, Ohio, and then you were born in Calgary, uh, if I'm correct. Right. So was it just part, I mean, you guys were just moving around, and this was just another stop along the way that you ended up in Calgary? That's right. And yeah. he couldn't wait to get out of there because it was freezing his uh, yeah. butt off. I don't. Well, I want to keep it nice and clean for your fantastic show. <laughs> so you didn't Have stay you in a- Calgary long? No, I was. I think I left uh, when I was two weeks old. Oh, well, that's good. But did you get that? Did you keep that Canadian uh, dual citizenship? <laughs> yes, yes, I did. And, uh, <laughs> right. I'll tell, you, I'll tell you what. That was going to come in handy in case of. Uh, in case I got drafted into the Vietnam War, I was going to say, hey, I'm Red a dual North. citizen. Yeah. I'm not a, wait a second. I'm not a dual citizen. Technically, I'm a Canadian-born American citizen. Ah. But if I, anytime I wanted to, I could get my Canadian citizenship. Yeah. It's uh, just that um, it's too cold there. Yeah. Nice place to visit, but <laughs> don't want to stay there too long. Uh, I've been to Banff. Have you ever been to Banff? Uh, no. Uh, is that one of those places you say I, I spent a week there one day? No, no. Banff National Park is one of the most beautiful places in the world. Also, um, let me just uh, shout out to Cabot Trail in uh, in Cape Breton Island of Nova Scotia. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's just a toss-up, which is, I mean, you've got some beautiful places. But every, every summer I go to... Uh, Niagara Falls, Ontario. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I just love it there. It's, uh, it's a peaceful, beautiful, amazing place. So I still love Canada. I just won't live there. Yeah. It's a nice wonderland at Niagara Falls right now. Anyway, uh, you don't want to go isn't, there. right? Isn't now. Rosie O'Donnell supposed to go there and all those, uh, scary ass people like Cher and, uh, whatever. <laughs> Yeah, like still the, still waiting for them to get those tickets, huh? <laughs> yeah, I was uh, I was I was hoping they'd all go. All right, we don't get into politics on this one, but you and I probably could have some great conversations when it comes to that. Uh, but uh, was it the kind of this vagabond uh, vagabond life? Did you guys, you know, uh, after Calgary, you go somewhere else? You go to these different territories? You know, a lot of people don't understand the way the business worked back then that you would go to these territories that were literally all over North America, for sure. Uh, You could go over to Europe, even in Japan. But was that kind of the life you guys led? Would you stay in one area for, you know, less than a year sometimes? And maybe another place would be great. So you'd be there for a couple of years. What places did you guys live? Okay, well, um, we were, yeah, we went around and around. But when I got in the second grade and my brother got in the fourth grade, we settled in Belner's Grove, Illinois. Yeah. My father bought my father bought a house, and um, we stayed from second. I had second grade through senior in high school, uh, nineteen seventy three. Oh wow! Um, so you had some in, roots. In, in yes, in Belner's Grove, Illinois. Yeah. And um, did you see the Macho Man the DVD um, that they the WWE put out? Yeah, it's uh, it's a great DVD. It really is. I yes, love the I, stuff. I, I do. Yeah. My mother didn't want to be in it. She said, "Well, I don't, I don't talk so well, and this and that." I yeah. said, "Look, if it was live, I could see it because if you're lousy live, you're kind of lousy, right? I mean, you yeah. know. But but if you ramble on and you do five percent good, um, they will find the five percent and they'll send that out. <laughs> That's right. I've I've uh, spent a career on that. 
Yes, I got it. (laughs) (laughs) Now, now let me tell you, Sean, you were the, in my opinion, you were one of the finest announcers I've ever seen. And I'm talking about not just wrestling, but anything. Well, I really appreciate it. Now, listen, you were polite and you were professional and you always did a fantastic job. And sometimes uh, they overworked you. I mean, all those, am I right? Oh like, boy. Yeah. The event center almost killed me. People uh, I've, I've described it before, but yeah, that was, uh, uh, that was, that was tough because, uh, we would work four or five days a week just doing market after market after market. Yeah. It was, uh, and then we'd go on the road. So it was, <laughs> it was an exciting life. It was great though. It really was. But anyway, well, let's, you, let's get back on yeah. track here because, uh, we got a lot, a lot of ground to cover. I don't know how long I've got you, but, um, I really, I'm just fascinated by, you know, you and Randy were, uh, you know, close your entire lives. Were you close growing up? I mean, you're just two years apart and, uh, you know, were you, you know, as two brothers would be close and have the same interests or did you, were you like uh, another pair where, you know, uh, you didn't have that closeness? Um, we were close all the way. As a matter yeah. of fact, the, the entire family was very, very close. Um, now my father was a no nonsense, very demanding man. And my brother was absolutely no nonsense. And, uh, really that never changed. Lot, no, it never changed, but I'll he tell was, you what, uh, yeah. he might've been OCD. Okay. okay. Obsessive compulsive disorder. Yeah. Um, it's an undiagnosed case, but uh, since I'm a high school well, graduate, back then, yeah, back then they didn't know. Remember, a lot of people had dyslexia, and that kind of, they had no idea, and what OCD was. Jeez, you were just a kid who uh, couldn't sit still, you know. Right, and you know, but when you think back to the wrestling back in the '80s, and I don't know how it is now, mm-hmm. but um, some of those wrestlers were up to no good. They were just there to rib or have fun or do stuff. My brother was interested in having the best performance that he possibly could every single night. It didn't matter if it was Madison square garden or Scranton, Pennsylvania, he was going to give you everything he had in the costuming, in the action. Um, and you know, he was, um, if that's OCD, give me that because he told me many, many times, that if I don't give my best to the people, then I'm no better than a shoplifter or a uh, common thief because uh-huh. the people pay their money to see you. And if you don't give them the best show you can, what are you but a thief? Yeah. Is that something your father instilled in you guys when you were younger? Or was that just in, in Randy's head um, from the beginning? No, uh, it, it all come from my It all came from my dad. Yeah. Uh-huh. Oh yeah. Everything came from my dad, but my, um, if you look at the, well, uh, let me give you an example. Yeah. Um, the Macho Man wrestled Ricky Steamboat in 1987. And some people think it was the greatest match they'd ever seen. Mm-hmm. Well, in my opinion, it kind of ruined my brother's life because try as he might, he could never, ever have a match anywhere near as close to being as good. <laughs> and the reason is because um, some of the reason that match was the greatest of all time is because of Ricky Steamboat. Yeah. And it takes two to tango. 
Yeah, exactly. So, so at the final, when my brother was relegated to the wrestling and color man on the microphone, he wanted to, um, he saw Rick, he saw a guy that had talent and he wanted to work with him. And that guy was Shawn Michaels and he wanted to end his career with a two year program ending in WrestleMania where he was going to put Shawn Michaels over and he wanted people. And that was going to be like, uh, if, if Shawn Michaels uh, loses, he would shave his head. If Randy loses, he was going to retire to the announcer's booth. Mm-hmm. And, um, he was going to have what he was going to try to, I know it's subjective, not objective. I know that but he was going to have in his mind a better match than he had with Ricky Steamboat and then end his career that way. Right. And uh, so he goes to the powers that be and they said, bro, Randy, we're having a youth movement and um, the best thing you can do is stay on the microphone. Yeah. That's when he, that's when he called um, the Ted Turner organization and got himself booked out immediately. He says, Oh, I'm sorry. I didn't know I was elderly, but I guess I'll get a second opinion on that. Yeah. And, you know, he was offended because they called him old. And, you know, what do you do when they call you old? You uh, get somebody that doesn't think you're so old. Um, the, the sorriest thing in his life is he never was able to wrestle Shawn Michaels and have that great match. But he was, um, you know, he managed to have several great matches before he finally hung up his, his boots. But that's yeah, how and- much he loved that yeah, absolutely. And you, you talk about that match with Steamboat, and, and uh, it's interesting that you'd said that, uh, you know, to him, that was the pinnacle. But, you know, time and time, he had some unbelievable matches after that. And time and time again, you hear these superstars talk about uh, what he did in those matches and how uh, he understood the science of it all in the ring, the psychology of it all. And how many guys did he put over and help launch their careers? Uh, that, uh, that, that only comes from somebody who really knows how to perform in the ring, who is just an, an unbelievable entertainer. And, uh, Randy, uh, Papa was definitely that person. And there's no, there's no question in my mind. And I saw uh, a hell of a lot of it and he was just incredible. Oh yeah. He definitely was. And thank you for saying that, you know, um, and I'll tell you what, he held a grudge. He never forgot. Oh, yes, he did. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. He was you one know, of the most uh, intense individuals I ever met in my life. We, we only had one real, uh, you know, tiff, I guess you'd call it. I mean, I was certainly going to be on the losing end that if it ever got to a point where, but, uh, we had an issue at one time and, uh, we, I, I confronted him with it and thinking I was probably going to at least get slapped or something. But when we had that conversation, you know, it was, he was all about respect. And from that point on, we were really good. Uh, I never, ever had another issue with him. I think he, uh, respected me more and I, that's what he was, he, he was about. That was something he demanded. And, you know, he had his issue with some of the, some of the superstars, but in many cases it was definitely warranted because he didn't feel they were giving all they could. And when they didn't, they heard his performance. Well, can I ask you a question? I don't mean to take over the show. Yeah. Oh, of course. Um, it's, it's a conversation. You're speaking, like. vaguely. you're yeah. speaking vaguely. Yeah. Can you please 
please, for my benefit, speak specifically. What was it that happened? Well, there was a that we had a there was a match where it was he when he was the king, and I was doing an interview, and you know uh, we didn't script these, but we always would tell you know we'd give an idea of where we were going with them, and it was an instant where he wanted me to bow in front of bow you know to the king, and he was like grabbing my arm and and it was just he didn't tell me beforehand, and it put me in a bad position as an announcer to do that. And so I, I didn't end up doing it. I, you know, was able to, you know, talk my way around it or whatever, but it just put me in a really bad situation. And I was just, it astounded me because Randy was never like that. And I don't know if it was a bad day or what it was, but then he, uh, that same week he came to the, the studios in Stanford, uh, shooting something else. I think we were doing wrestling spotlight when Liz was doing it or something. And he had came in there and I, I asked him, I said, I need to talk to you. And we, uh, you know, I told him exactly, uh, what, you know, what I was thinking about the whole situation. And he did that, you know, like looking at me like, mm, well, you might be right about that brother. <laughs> I'm glad to hear that, you know? Yeah. And it was, and, it, and I tell you, you know, it was good for me because, uh, and this, I, I hadn't been there that long. Uh, I can't, you know, I'm, I'm trying to think of specifics, but it really was good for, um, me working with him going forward there. We never had another issue and it was great. I mean, uh, it was really great. And so, but, uh, you know, that's, that's the way he was. It, it was all about respect. And in a lot of ways he was like, you know, Bobby Heenan in the sense that if you couldn't do business, he, you, you were not going to go any further th with him, uh, as far as a relationship, you didn't have a relationship first with him. And then, uh, you know, then, you know, do business or whatever he, you had, he had to know that you were a professional could do it. And then after that point, he could work with you, but you would never have a relationship with the guy. It just didn't happen. Right. Yeah. But I'm, thank you for telling me. And I'm glad I asked because yeah. I'll tell you what, um, no, I can't, I, like I can't, I have to tell you how scared, I mean, I was like shaking in my boots because, you know, he, 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 uh, he, he, he wasn't always just, he wouldn't just talk. I mean, if it came down to it, he was ready. <laughs> so I thought, you oh, know, no, this, this could go wrong. Listen, yeah. Sean, he would, uh, he would only do physical violence as a last resort. Yeah. And, yeah. But you know what I'm um, saying? I thought I didn't even think, you know, uh, maybe uh, he would, and I didn't want to lose, uh, the ability I had to keep working with him, you know? So I didn't know if I have, if I messed this up, I mean, I, this, he's one of the biggest stars in the WWF. This could really be bad. But I had to do it, uh, and I was—I'm glad I did. <laughs> and then you guys had a better relationship afterwards, I'm sure. Oh, absolutely! From that point, we were great, absolutely great. Well, so. I asked you that question for my own benefit because I love remembering things like that. You know yeah. what I mean? Especially um, things that you re things that were important to you. You know, because let's face it—I miss him, and um, it yeah. makes it keeps his memory alive in my soul. Well, you know, and I think a lot of ways, Lanny, uh, he was a tough guy to know, you know, because he was, uh, you know, so focused on business and, uh, you know, the, the whole relationship with Liz and it was kind of this, you know, it was tough to get into that circle. So I, I really wanted to talk to you two about it because you knew him in a, in a different way. He was your brother. Uh, and I think that people would love to hear more about that. Of, of what he was okay, like. I would love to, let me tell you a little bit about, let me clear up a fallacy here. Yeah. 
I I hear people say that he locked Elizabeth in the locker room. Okay? Oh, yeah, yeah. But you're forgetting that I was there, too. Yeah, so was I. And there, <laughs> Okay, there yeah. was no lock on no. that door. No. Okay? Now, let me ask you a question. If you had your wife backstage, would you want her to take a shower with Brian Knox? <laughs> Uh, absolutely not. And, uh, you know, it, people have to also realize what it was like back in those days. It was, I always refer to it as like the wild West. That was when, you know, it was old school. Uh, there was all these, uh, new people coming in and, uh, yeah, I, uh, I totally you understand. understand. What I'm saying? Yeah. Oh, okay. God, yes. So, so he wanted to get her her own dressing room since the yeah. other wrestlers were using people's suitcases as toilets. Did you know about that? Yeah, I know. Yes. Very aware okay, of, I'm just, of the I'm ribs just that were going on then. Yeah. Yeah. There was not, these were not the boy scouts. Okay. Yeah. Um, my brother was there to, he used the dressing room. I mean, hang on to your hat. He used the dressing room to get dressed. Yeah. Okay. And he didn't, uh, use it to, uh, and he used it to prepare himself for his match and have the best match he could. And then, get down to the next town because yeah. he had to use the tanning bed. He had to use the gym. He had to prepare himself for the match. And, uh, he had to make sure that the people in Poughkeepsie didn't see the same outfit that he was going to wear twice. And he didn't have to write it down. He remembered that's yeah. how bright he was. Yeah. Okay. Now, yeah. when I hear about these things, like he locked her in the, well, first of all, all these wrestlers that say that, did you try the door? No, you didn't try the door because it takes less guts to talk about a guy after he's passed than to try the door because you don't want to go in that door because the macho man might want to know why you came in without knocking. Yeah. Okay. So I'm just saying, but what, you know, I'm a, in the, in the world of marriage, I am a one time loser and I handled it better than OJ Simpson. It was amicable. <laughs> um, That's quite a comparison. Yeah. But I, I, I understand well, I that. say that was the worst and you know, uh, yeah. Yeah. But my point is it makes me laugh when some of these guys that say that are multiply divorced. See, I'm only a one time loser. So, yeah. you know, like if you know so much about women, then why are you uh, statistically um, keep going down the aisle and then, getting taken to the cleaners. You know what I'm just saying? So, yeah. Well, um, I think, you I know, Lanny, I really believe, I mean, I know that the people that were there, that, that were there, we knew, I, I know he didn't lock Liz in a, in a room ever. Uh, but he was, uh, he was very protective of Liz. And I mean, that was, that was true. But, you know, in that world, I don't know how in the world you couldn't be. If you weren't, I would wonder about you. So yeah, that, that was, uh, and he was a very intense person. Uh, a lot of us don't know what that relationship was really about, but I, I believe that, uh, you know, that was certainly the love of his life. I mean, is that, I, I don't think I'm wrong there. It was devastating when she left him. Okay. Yeah. And, um, he flittered around and floundered, mm -hmm. um, probably, um, you know, I saw him take a 
nosedive right after that, um, emotionally, physically, whatever. And everything, um, there was, a, there was a, his second wife, um, everybody says, uh, I hear other interviews, you know, and they say, oh, it's his high school sweetheart. Yeah. Well, how could it be his high school sweetheart if she's from Chattanooga and he's from Downers Grove, Illinois? Yeah, you know, even the ma- yeah. even the macho man can't do that. Yeah, but about a year um, right after high school, Randy got signed by the St. Louis Cardinals and was playing baseball in Sarasota, Florida. Mm-hmm. And he was on Lido Beach and he met a girl named Lynn, mm-hmm. and she was uh, attending college at the Ringling Art College. Mm-hmm. Okay, she's an artist, yeah. and um, they dated for five years. And when Randy was um, thrown out of baseball for the, he had been released unconditionally three times, and and um, and now he was going to get into wrestling, and you know he was a little skinny to look like he didn't really look like a wrestler, but that's kind of a good thing back then, you know, because <laughs> they were all fat, yeah. Yeah. you know, and um, he didn't want to get married, he wasn't ready, and uh, they broke up. Uh-huh. And then, and then they reacquainted themselves, um, and then they got married. Uh, they cohabitated for ten years. They got married one year and ten days before he passed away. Yeah, yeah. And well, uh, I didn't realize they were together that long because you know you just see when they got married, but I didn't realize they. Well, this been... was this was his this was his first love, yeah. and um, we're Lynn and I are still friends. She had two daughters by a previous marriage. Uh-huh. Um, wonderful people. Um, uh, I spent Christmas with them, uh, just recently. And, um, you know, I just, I just want to let you know that, um, all's well, that ends well. Randy's life for the last 10 years was fabulous. Uh, Lanny, we're going to take a quick time out here because, you know, I can't wait to hear more about your time in the WWF WWE, but I want to make sure my listeners are sticking with those New Year's resolutions. Very important. Or at least one of them. Come on, guys. You know the one I'm talking about. Going to see great live events taking place in your town. And I can help you do it and save you money, too. All you have to do is download the SeatGeek app right now onto your mobile device. And you are just a few finger taps away from getting awesome seats to that special event that you've been thinking about. And listen to this. Because you are one of my listeners, once you have that app, the SeatGeek app, all you have to do is just plug in the promo code PRIMETIME and you're going to get $20 off your first purchase. Now let me tell you why SeatGeek is the absolute best when it comes to getting tickets. One big reason, uh, SeatGeek searches multiple ticket sites to compare and find the best prices. Also, every purchase is fully guaranteed. So you can shop for tickets on SeatGeek with absolute total confidence. And best part about it all, because you are one of my listeners, you're going to get that very special deal. Just download the SeatGeek app onto your mobile device, whatever it is, and enter the code, once again, PRIMETIME. That's promo code PRIMETIME. And you're going to get $20 off your first SeatGeek purchase. You mentioned his baseball career. And uh, he was a hell of a baseball player. I, I think your dad played as well, but he was a... Was he, he was a catcher when he went into the St. Louis system, and 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 uh, uh, you said he was released, but I mean he played I think almost 300 games, so he had he had a pretty uh, impressive 
a minor league career. Um, I mean, he was serious. He wanted to be in the major leagues, right? Oh, oh yes. And, you Love know, baseball. He, uh, he, he separated his shoulder uh-huh. and then learned to throw left-handed and uh, got signed by the White Sox as a first baseman. And uh, he made it past the first cut, second cut, third cut of spring training, and the final cut, he got cut. And he says, hey, where's, where's my justice? I've done the thing. And he says, Randy, you're making the throw okay left-handed, but he's we can tell that's not your real arm. You're throwing like a girl almost. Wow. You know, and, um, you know, that's just the way it is when you're throwing with the wrong arm. Yeah. He had to, he had to give it up, but, um, were you guys, were you wrestling? I mean, uh, from an early age, the both of you did Randy, uh, learn to, you know, perform in the ring as well. Or, or how did that happen with you guys? It was just part of your life when, early on. When you sign a baseball contract, you know, there's a lot of, um, microscopic fine prints and one of the things you're not allowed to do is play football boxing wrestling said it right there wrestling um and it's among the things you're not allowed to do randy was only making 500 dollars a month he was not a bonus baby yeah um my my father said don't worry i'll subsidize you because even in 1971 500 a month is not a lot of money yeah so what he did what he did, he's a card shark, okay? And he doesn't cheat. He just remembers the cards. And he, you know, he's like Rain Man. Except, you know, he's not this an idiot. Your dad? He's a brilliant guy. Your, My your brother. Dad? Oh, Randy? Yes. So he played cards with the bonus babies. And uh, <laughs> he took as much money out of their pockets as he wanted to. So he never asked my dad for money, even though he's only making $500 a month. He uh-huh. was he, he could have made five hundred dollars a day um, off the bonus babies. So the should have gone to Vegas. Assumed, yeah. Oh, he has. He's been. Uh, they they threw him out a couple of times <laughs> because <laughs> he, yes, he was winning too much. Um, and one of the things when he got to WWF, he could have stayed around Andre the Giant and Arnold Scoland and taken yeah. all their money every day, but he decided. Um, He's going. He's not going to play cards in the dressing room, even though he could make a fortune because there's a lot of money changing hands back there. Wow, um, that's no, that's there, incredible. I never, I never heard that before. That uh, that he was a card shark. That's oh that's yes. Incredible. Well, you heard it from me. I'll tell you what. He could have me naked in ten minutes. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, not that you ever want to play strip poker with your brother, but I, I get what you're saying here. <laughs> I'm, well, I, was, I was speaking figuratively, not literally. Yes, I, of course, I, of course. Uh, but so he never uh, had really stepped into the ring until after the career in, in baseball was over. No, that's what I was trying to tell you. Uh. Um, he he wrestled under a mask, and he wrestled during the off season. Um, All right. And as a matter of fact, he spent a lot of time in Florida um, and he worked for Eddie Graham as the spider. Now, yeah, what is the, what is the coincidence of that? That's I that's amazing that, that he uh, that's that that like a good gimmick for him. Then he was pretty spidery back then. He wasn't the, the macho man that we came to know. Well, just think of this. Many years later, in 2002, he earns a role on in spider-man huh. yeah that's right he was he was the mass spider in florida in 1972 73 whatever and then and then he uh in 2002 many years later 
He's in the movie Spider-Man, one of the top grossing films of all time. He was gigantic in that movie. Yes, and um, I don't ask don't ask me how he did it. Uh, yeah, okay, that. yeah, exactly. But, uh, but, but one, of the, one go of, ahead. Yes, one of the things that uh, he loved those people. He really put himself heart and soul into that movie. Yeah. And then if you watch the final, when he gets monkey flipped by Spider Man, he kind of yeah. lands on the back of his neck and everything. And yeah. that's just once uh, they did about ten takes, and. Um, he, uh, his neck was never the same after that. Yeah. How old was he at that point? Well, I mean, let's see. I'm trying to think what that, that was, but late 40s? That movie was released in, that movie was released in 02. I believe he did it in 2001. So it was 10 years before he died. He oh. died at the age of 58 and a half. That makes oh. it 48. Wow. So that's. Okay. And I, I said I wasn't good at math, but I, you know, I could handle that. You can do that part. So, uh, when did you start realizing though, that he had this talent in the ring? Uh, you, in the meantime, were you already wrestling with your dad? I started wrestling when I was 18 years old Okay, and, um, I didn't know that Randy was the first time I saw him wrestle. He was, uh, I was, my father and I were tag team partners with the Sheik in the Sheik's territory which is Eddie Farhat, which is uh, the original Sheik. Yeah, right. Um, in Michigan and Ohio. So right. I was the world tag team champion of Michigan and Ohio. <laughs> so that's, and, and, uh, and, and Toronto, okay? So when you say the world, it's not like the world is now, okay? It's not like uh, if you win the WWE belt and you, and you really are the world champion. Yeah. But... Um, so the first time, right after the, the White Sox um, unconditionally released him, yeah. he came in and um, I couldn't believe how great he was. The only thing was he didn't have the body. Mm-hmm. So he worked on his body. So what did he, what did he, he weigh at this point? Now, he was, what, six, uh, two or so? How, about, you know, uh, I think it was about uh, a legitimate six one. Yeah. And, uh, and I'd say 175. Really? Okay. Back then. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Okay. But, 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 and he had a, quite a physique for baseball. It was rock yeah. hard. Yeah. Um, but it wasn't the look that they were looking for. Yeah. So in wrestling. Mm-hmm. So, but his, his, I couldn't believe his in ring skills, but you know, he was a natural athlete and a right. perfectionist at everything he ever tried. Mm-hmm. So then he worked on his body. So he's supposed to help him with his, with his, uh, promos. And that's, that's interesting. Uh, did he already have the voice going? I mean, he always, you know, uh, or he was had that a little, he had a little stage fright happening yeah. and he had a little bit of, um, I don't know. He had, he had trouble catching his breath, you know, and he lacked confidence and he was having some trouble. Yeah. So I said, well, since your name is Randy Savage, since your gimmick is Randy Savage, and you call yourself a savage, um, who's the best savage type interview you ever saw? And, and he says, he thinks about it and he says, well, it's a cross between King Curtis Iakea and Pampero Furpo. Have you heard of either one of these guys? Uh, no. Well, when we were in Hawaii, um, we were, um, 
there was a thing they played over and over on the TV show. Pantero Furpa was going, you are watching number one station in Hawaii. Oh, yeah. Uh-huh. And now he's an Armenian from Argentina, so there's no way to uh, do that voice. Yeah. So I said, remember when he did that? Why don't, let's hear you try to do that. And he says, you are watching the number one station in Hawaii. Ooh, yeah. Really? And I said, oh, my oh my God, that sounds like money. And so he did says, you say, that's, you that's it? <laughs> yeah, I said, um, if you ever watch um, Pygmalion or My Fair Lady, uh, I think she's got it. Right. Wow. Okay, and so, but, uh, I mean, what is he, 20, 22 at this point? I don't remember. I don't know what how old he was when he was done with baseball, but how old is he at this point? I'd say 22, 23. And then okay. he spends the next month in the bathroom mirror working on his interviews, developing that gimmick. And um, the thing is, I feel that between the body and the work, and the interview, all three pieces of the puzzle, I think Randy was good enough to be in the the New York Territory five years before he actually became a WWF uh, personnel. Yeah, and so this is all, it's all coming together at this point. You kind of see the early stages of what we would come to know as the Macho Man Randy Savage. Right. And uh, the thing, here's, here's why Randy was so great. He was never satisfied with any interview, any match, or any costume. He always tried to exceed that. And then when he was building his body, he was never satisfied with his tan, never satisfied with his physique. Now, on the other hand, the way I am, I do my best and I forget the rest. Right. Okay, I'm only interested, I give, and uh, if it's not good enough, well, uh, I can live with that. So um, Randy couldn't. Oh, it would bother him. It's all about detail with him. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It was about the big picture, the minutia, every detail. I mean, everything. So and, you guys uh, did, you guys start uh, performing professionally together. Um, and I think your dad was with you too, right? Yes. In some of these territories. Uh, when did your dad uh, start Intercontinental Championship Wrestling, ICW. And how did that help you two uh, as professionals when he did that? Okay. I was in Oregon working for Don Owen in 1978 and 79. And there was a guy there named Rowdy Roddy Piper. Maybe you've heard of him. Uh, let me think back. Yeah, I think that name sounds a little familiar. Yeah, sure. Yeah, he never really amounted to much. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, he was such a fantastic person, such a nice man. Um, he wanted to, he says, Lanny, I've got an idea for you. Um, can you work heel? I said, yeah. And he says, why don't you go to Los Angeles and work with the Guerrero family? Mm-hmm. I said, fantastic, because, you know, I speak Spanish, and I can get heat on their TV. And he, so he calls up he, um, he, he calls up the promoter, and the promoter calls me up, and I talk to him for an hour, and I'm all excited. It's Mike LaBelle. 
he's the promoter of Los Angeles. And he says, boy, we're going to do this and we're going to do that. And he says, Lanny, um, Roddy Piper is like a son to me. And if he says you're good, by God, we're going to give you every opportunity to get over. And, you know, that's like, wow, what a vote of confidence. So then I, about three weeks later, you know, I'd already, I'd already called my parents and told them I was going to Los Angeles. And uh, they say, hey, we need you to, we're going to start an ICW. We need you to come in, you know, yeah. and help us. And then I had to do the two hardest things I've ever had to do. I don't know. I mean, at the time, okay? Yeah. Um, first thing I did was call Mike LaBelle. And he was so nice about it. It made me feel even worse. You know, if he would have been a jerk, I would have been vindicated, you know, but uh, he was so nice. He said, Lanny, that's okay. Thank you for calling and blah, blah, blah. Maybe, you know, someday down the road, you know, and then I had to do something really hard. I had to get Roddy Piper by himself and explain to him that I'm, I've got to go do this thing. Yeah. We got to help your dad. and, And he was nice about it. Yeah. And, uh, I just. I'll tell you what, what a, what a wonderful person Roddy Piper was, yeah. you know, I, Oh, no kidding. And, you know, I can I, tell you I, stories I too. The, I only wish the fans knew what a special type of guy he was. Yeah. Um, totally different than I've never yeah. met a guy like that. Yeah. You know, there was a lot of them like that, that you didn't, yeah, that were completely different, uh, when you were in a different situation, one-on-one with them than they were in the ring. Uh, how, how great a, uh, an opportunity was it? Was it a good, uh, you know, for when your dad was doing this or was it just because you were with the family and you guys were doing this? It was a lot of work and, um, there was a, it was a lot of work. Yeah. Okay. Now what but I he made it, he made I, it go for what, five years or, you know, I mean, uh, it made it seven years, really seven. The only okay. thing that. Okay, the if you do the math, uh, 1985 it ended because around June, uh, we debuted for the WWE. Yeah. Uh, and WWE. so is your brother just getting better and better? I mean, this this is where you know because I know you would go to Memphis uh, before that, um, and Jerry Lawler would help you guys out, and then the WWF. But uh, you know what's going on during that whole period? I mean, you guys are just getting better and better. You see, and Randy's getting. You know, he can do these promos now. He's coming into his character, the macho man. Uh, what's happening at this point? Well, we were working hard. I was, uh, I was in charge of the, um, you know, green screen was just new then, you know, the, the green background. Oh, yeah. Uh, yes. And um, I was the photographer. I took color slides of everybody, um, not their, like if, if it was Cowboy Bob Orton, I would go out to the Kentucky Horse Park and I would shoot um, different scenes of pastoral scenes of horses and, yeah. you know, cowboy things. Yeah, and, you can tie um, them. Yeah. And then, you know, so we would have the slide behind each person. And I was so proud of myself, you know, for doing that and changing that. And, you know, um, and then I also uh, was a photographer, and I, I, was, I was reading Rolling Stone magazine, and I saw an advertisement for lithographs for, um, like, you could get 1,000 lithographs for $60. So 
So that comes to six cents per picture. And you sell it for a dollar, and it's a 94% profit. That's a pretty good deal. <laughs> yeah, I so, guess so. And I was in, so I was in charge of, you know, the photography and the, you know, uh, the picture table business. And then I also made a program. I did all the writing, did the pictures, and the, you know. So it was a mom and you guys were a mom and pop. You guys were a mom and pop organization, basically. You're getting right. Mm-hmm. And uh, my brother, my brother and dad were arguing over the booking. You know, yeah. Okay. Did <laughs> you get some big names to, to come and and uh, work with you guys? I mean, uh, the ICW. The biggest, the biggest names that we ever had were Bob Orton Jr., yeah. Ronnie Garvin, okay, Ernie Ladd, uh, the one man gang that became Akeem. Yeah. Um, and, uh, who am I leaving out? Rip Rogers, George Weingroff. You may not know those names, but they were in, um, George Weingroff is still a very dear friend of mine. Um, whatever I'm in Nashville. Did it, Lanny, did it just turn out to be, it was just, it didn't work. It just was too much. Uh, and then it folded. No, it didn't. It would have, it would still be going now. I mean, I'm just not now because, uh, if I was the only proprietor, no, but, um, the only reason we we stopped it is because um, Randy got into the WWF, and um, I thought Memphis was in there somewhere in between. No. Yeah, about two years before that, no. uh, we stayed. Uh, we made a liaison with uh, the Jarretts. Instead of yeah. working against each other, we worked for each other. Yeah. And uh, they helped us. We helped them for about right. two year period. Okay. And then, so how did he get um, noticed by the, how'd you get noticed by the WWF? Okay. I'm going to give you two words and you're going to know all about it. <laughs> okay. G- Jimmy Hart. Really? If it wasn't, if it wasn't for him and Howard Finkel, none of, um, none of this would have happened. There's no macho man, if- Randy Savage in the, uh, the championship. Right. Uh, there's no him going against Hulk. There's no Liz. There's no, there's none of that. Now I'll tell you what, I love Jimmy Hart and he never got enough credit for what he did. Yeah. No, I think you're okay. right about that too. With all he did with the music and, uh, he helped a lot of people. I've heard that more than once in my journey here with the podcast. Yeah. It was Jimmy Hart that got Randy in Memphis. And it was Jimmy Hart that got Randy in the WWF. Uh-huh. It was it was Macho Man that got me in Memphis, and it was the Macho Man that got me in the WWF. But without Jimmy Hart, nothing happens. Yeah. So I am not a self-made man, but um, I love Jimmy Hart, and I it's about time he got some credit. Yeah. Well, I'm going to help. I'm hoping to help spread some of that. I'm, I'm trying to get him on the show. So if you, uh, you see him, tell him, uh, you know, Mooney wants him on the podcast. I got to get a hold of him. I'll tell you what, I'll tell you what, I will get him on the show for you. I would appreciate that. He's been a little elusive. <laughs> well, I'm not going to hammerlock him, but I will ask him politely. You know, and you know, what's interesting, Lenny. I mean, I had, I was great, great pals with him when I was at the WWF and, and I thought, oh Yeah. He'll definitely be one of my, you know, first guests to get on there. And I was at this event in Queens and he was there. And every time it was like, every time I went to see where he was so I could talk to him, he was off somewhere else. So we still have, we have to connect. So any, uh, any help you can, you can give me that would be greatly appreciated, but I totally agree with you. 
about that he does deserve a lot of credit. And uh, I, I, they, you know, people should really know too. A lot of that music uh, didn't happen without Jimmy. Uh, a lot of the superstars' music he had a great influence on. We had, uh, you know, Jacques Rougeau on. He was talking about All American Boys and how they put that song together. Uh, you know, he, he really, really did a lot, and he he, well, did, he stop, deserves a lot more credit. You, let me stop you right there before I lose my train of thought. Okay. Because when you're 63, this will happen. Yeah. You said Jacques I know it Rougeau. at 58. Believe me. <laughs> you said Jacques Rougeau. Yes. Some people don't understand, but you know, did, did Jacques Rougeau? You know. Did he punch out the face of uh, Dynamite Kid? Did oh, yeah. Did he mention that? On his... Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. We've talked about it extensively, yes. Have you ever heard the expression, that was uncalled for? Oh, sure. Well, that was called for. Yeah. Uh, from what... It uh, was 100%... Yeah. Okay, it was... It wasn't a, just a diabolical act from a bully. Jacques Rougeau is not a bully. Jacques Rougeau had to stand up for himself. He did. He did the right thing. It was a fantastic thing that he did. And um, I just, it was good to see the bully get his teeth knocked out. Now, I also can tell you a lot of great things about Dynamite Kid. He was a fantastic worker. He was fun to be around. But he he could be a little bit, you know, mean. And... um, he never was mean to me because, and I, I, I always wondered why, but I always knew why, but nobody wanted to uh, have to answer to the macho man. That's right. why I didn't get ribbed and nobody used my suitcase for a toilet because, oh yeah, what'd you do my little brother? Oh, you know, I can imagine they, you know, they took that in stride, yeah. but take it from me, Jacques Rougeau did the right thing. As a matter of fact, the Rougeau brothers, fantastic people, you know, and, uh, they were just there to try to have, you know, they were business. They yeah. weren't there. To no, they were professionals. They were, yeah. They were, they were trying to, uh, and I bet Jacques gave you a good interview, right? Oh, he was fantastic because he's very genuine, very honest. I mean, he, he told, uh, the story in, in great detail and said, you know, I, you know, that was the, he said, when you're in a backed into a corner, you got to fight. And if, you know, we talked a little bit about it, you've mentioned it, but back in that time, Lanny, uh, unless you were there and you understood the business, it was, uh, it was old school. And when you had a, had an issue with another wrestler, you settled it, uh, in the showers or somewhere out back or whatever, or in the ring sometimes, but that's the way it was done. And he would have lost, uh, all respect, uh, it, it would have been very difficult for him to work in the business from that point forward. And really it was, you know, whatever you think of that incident and people certainly have a different debates on this, but, uh, when you hear him talk about it and he says, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm a chicken shit. I don't, uh, you know, I'm, I'm not for Raymond was the, okay. was the, that, the, the tough that, guy. That, you that know? is false. That is false. He says, okay, he's just being humble. Yes. Is, I, yeah, I know. I know. But you know what I'm saying though? Like it wasn't like you had said, he's, he was not that kind of guy. He didn't go looking for trouble. Well, uh, Raymond Rougeau could have done it, but yeah. Raymond had a, a crippled knee at the time. 
Right, but also, but also, Jacques knew he had to do it. He couldn't have his big brother take care of it for him. You know, he it would have never uh, been right. And he knew he had to. So I'll tell you, I'll tell you something else. You know, uh, Raymond Rougeau, you call me the genius. If I had his brains, I'd throw mine away. This guy can do anything. He's a pilot. He's a he's a yachtsman. He can he can hunt and fish. Um, if you threw me in the wilderness, I'd be dead in a month. Okay. <laughs> this guy, he can build a house from nothing. You know, I'm telling you, he's got skills. So, yeah. um, I take my, the genius takes his cap and gown off to Raymond Rougeau for being smarter than him. Yeah. Well, I always enjoyed, uh, the two of those guys and, uh, you know, and, and same with, uh, with, with you and, and Randy. And it was interesting to see, you know, the brother duos. I mean, you were, you were there as well. And, you openly admit a lot of opportunity came your way because of Randy Savage. And uh, going back a little bit here, though, uh, tell me uh, uh, how it all went down. Now, you mentioned that, that Jimmy and uh, Howard were, were involved, I guess, making those initial phone calls. But um, uh, how did it happen with the, well, you know, there's always kind of that first meeting with Vince. Were you a part of that? Was that something Randy took care of and then said, hey, you're coming with me or what? How did that work? Okay, we were friends with George Scott, who was the booker at the time. Yes. Okay? Uh-huh. And uh, I had worked for him for a year and a half back in 1976-77 era. Mm-hmm. And by the way, before I get on another tangent, um, <laughs> the, nicest, the nicest person there to me yeah. at the time in 1976-77, when I was an oversensitive boy with a bad complexion trying to make it in the business, Rick Flair was the nicest person ever yeah. Every, from, from the start to the finish. And he was a big star there. Yeah. And, uh, he was, he bent over backwards to be nice to both Randy and I, yeah. and, uh, I will never forget him for that. And, uh, you think that you know, was because of the connection with your, your, your father in the business or no, what do you think yeah, that was? Uh, no, it wasn't. He was nice to everybody. He's just a nice man. Yeah. Uh, it wasn't, he, if, if you were Angelo Papo's son or not Angelo Papo's son, he would be just as nice. He's nice. Not because he likes you. He's, he's nice because he sees the good in everybody and he's yeah. a, and he only wants to have a good time. That's what all what he, he was about. Yeah. So, um, I forgot what the question was. Well, we're going back to that meeting, that that first meeting with Vince. So that's kind of like the way you eventually you get in, you have that meeting. Um, okay. First, first of all, what did that ex- consist of? First, there was a phone call with Vince McMahon. I mean, with, uh, with George Scott. And, um, and he says, by the way, you got any room for my brother? He says, well, not on top, but, uh, um, and you know, trust me, Sean, I would have, gone there to take the jackets back to the dressing room. Yeah. You see what I mean? Because I believe no matter where you start, water will seek its own level. Yeah. And eventually in 1989, uh, I was on the main events for four months. So, yeah. you know, no matter how, you know, I started out as just a, uh, well, actually George Scott treated me very well. I was, uh, I was a baby face working mid card of winning, uh, 75% of my matches. And then as soon as George Scott lost his booking job, um, I started, it was jobs, jobs, and jobs, you know, yeah. but 
what I, what I did is I hung on and I, um, people came and went and I stayed because I was money motivated. You know, I was married with a with a daughter mm-hmm. and, uh, my number one thing was there's only, the only thing that counts is what the bank teller counts. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And there was no way I was going to make more money doing anything else. I couldn't see that happening. And, um, so I, I grinned and bared it and, um, all's well that ends well, but my brother got me in and then I finally got to the main events for four months, but I had two main events in Madison square garden. Um, how many people can say that, you know, I'm, see, I don't, the secret to happiness is don't compare yourself to the macho man. You see what I mean? I did very well for myself and I'm very happy and I'm very grateful. And, uh, couple of years ago, I got a phone call from a lawyer asked me one of, if I wanted to join a class action suit for co- concussions in wrestling. Yeah. And I said, well, I never got a concussion. So he said, well, it doesn't matter. Just put your name on the list and you make money. I said, wait a minute. Nobody makes money on a class action lawsuit except the lawyers. Mm-hmm. And uh, I said, you know, they didn't call me the genius for nothing. <laughs> By the way, when I say I'm not a genius, yeah, was, um, uh, I, all the poems that I wrote were mine, even the uh-huh. lousy ones. So oh, I know. that I, I will, know. that I will admit. <laughs> That's that, great. That were genius. That were genius is thrown around way too much anyway. Yeah. So, so you guys get in, uh, now, uh, when did Elizabeth, when did, uh, Randy and Elizabeth hook up? When did that first happen? That was before. Uh, when did they that, meet? that arrival? Yeah. When, yeah. When did they meet and when did they start working together and how did that, how did that happen? Well, when we were in Lexington, Kentucky, we, uh, you, the best gym in town was the Sinte sports center on Richmond road. And, um, there was a beautiful girl at the front desk and, uh, I met her and Randy met her and, uh, I had a girlfriend at the time that became my wife, so I didn't ask her any questions. And um, she went out with Randy. And Mm -hmm. then I'd say, what was it? Okay. um, Well, 85 is when you guys get to the WWF. So what year is this? Okay, so I'm going to think December 31st, 1984, they were married. Six Mm -hmm. months later. Randy gets to the WWF and then how long did they date? Um, I would say three years. Oh, okay. So that was, that was, uh, a a while before then she knew what she was getting into. (laughs) And, and then, um, let me think. So she came to the WWF with you. Yeah. With him there, of course. And there uh, was, there was, they wanted to have, it was suggested that Missy Hyatt would be Randy's manager. Mm-hmm. And Randy said, well, my wife is a beautiful woman too. She's not blonde. She's not, you know, uh statuesque like Missy Hyatt, but she's a beautiful woman in her own right. Mm-hmm. And plus her being smaller would make me look bigger. And since I'm not the biggest heel, you know, walking down the aisle, I don't want to have the manager bigger than me. Yeah. So could you get, could you at least give her a screen test? So they brought her in 
fell in love with her, and all yeah. of a sudden, Miss Elizabeth was born. Yeah, oh, man. Did that uh, package uh, with Randy and, and her uh, become something that's going to, that will be forever remembered? Uh, you know, you talk about Randy being a businessman. Did he work a big deal coming in with, you know, did he have, okay, if you want me to be here, did he work a, a good deal or just uh, did what he had to do to get in and, uh, you know, and took what they gave him? Took what they gave him. Yeah. And, uh, and he, I took what they gave me. He took what they gave them. And, mm -hmm. um, you know, the thing is, if you have talent, they'll find it. Um, yeah. <clears throat> Now, well, I'm sure Randy had other plans too. He knew that was uh, you know, what he could turn this into. Oh yeah. yeah. As a matter of fact, what a he was a brilliant guy. Uh, he was doing the Slim Jim commercials, and um, when he went to the WCW, he took you know he became friends with those guys, and he managed to convince them to uninvest with Vince and invest with Ted Turner. Yeah. How's that? Well, he became the spokesperson. They went with, uh, they went with their guy, uh, before we get to those, uh, we're moving way ahead here on with the WCW, but, uh, that those years in the WWF, uh, were just incredible. Uh, that run from 85 to 94, um, you know, uh, at least in, in, in certainly until 91, uh, were just incredible. What do you remember about those times that, uh, you know, the, the stuff that where Randy was able to take that gimmick, uh, and really, and I, you know, and I, I will say, you know, uh, no one can take anything away from Hulk Hogan what he did for the WWF. I, I think it's uh, if you just look at it from his, as they say, his uh, his work and and what he accomplished there, you can't. It's just what he where he took professional wrestling, but that duo, the the two of them, and Randy certainly had a a large contribution to that as well. Uh, when you look back at that, at that time and seeing, and, and I always ask people about this, uh, you went from, you know, you go, you work in these arenas where there's, if there's 2000 people, that's a big night to where you're, you're, they're packing arenas, uh, you know, and then over 90,000. And then we saw, we see crowds, you know, just beyond belief. Uh, what do you remember of that time? I remember thinking I was the luckiest man in the world to be a part of it. Yeah. And I was always trying to figure out a way um, to do more, to give more so I could get more. Now, let me give you an example. Um, you talk about the 90,000 people in the Pontiac Silverdome. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Um, this is my relationship with Andre the Giant. Okay. I remember my birthday, December 28th, 1985, I was, um, 31 years old mm -hmm. and I'm in the Buffalo auditorium. You ever been there? Uh, no, I, well, I, you know, probably in one of those trips, <laughs> but, well, but if you asked me to describe what it looked like inside, I couldn't or the front of the building. Well, it's too, yeah. it's too late now. It's been demolished yeah. and yeah. it looks like it should have been demolished before I got in there. You know what I mean? It was like, <laughs> Okay, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to it, get up back there, but yeah. It was a depressing place. Mm -hmm. Okay, very historic. Let's say cavernous, nasty. Yeah. You know, uh, smelled a little mildewy, you know. Yeah. So anyway, um, there's Pat Patterson says, boy, look at Andre. He doesn't have a deck of cards. You know, Andre liked to play cards in the locker room. Oh, yeah. You know, he's, so he says, but the poor guy's got 
and you know he had a bad back. He was miserable. Yeah, then. Um, yeah. Because he was great in the seventies. Not so, in the eighties. He was mostly the name Andre. Yeah. The Giants. You know, but um, he had changed a lot for the worse. So what I did was I went upstairs and um, I found a willing person. Um, I found a woman. I gave her $10 and I said, can you do me a favor? Andre is downstairs. He doesn't have a deck of cards. He's going to be here for several hours. And uh, can you please get a deck of cards? Because I can't leave. Plus, I don't know Buffalo. Yeah. Okay. She, and I said, uh, here's the usher. Uh, she's going to, boom, let me know when she's back. Boom. Okay. She's here. Boom. And then I go upstairs and uh, I try, I try to give her the change. She doesn't want the change. I take that change. You know, she looked like this. It was a blizzard. You know, it was, it was, okay. uh, we were in a, it was a blizzard. So I go downstairs and Andre is sit, sitting down feeling sorry for himself. And I said, Andre, voila. And he, and he looks at me and a small tear comes to his eye and he said, mm. Merci beaucoup, monsieur. I had a deck of cards uh-huh. and uh, I gave and he gives him, he puts his hands around my head and he gives me the European uh, kiss on both cheeks. Uh-huh. And trust me, I didn't try to fight him, you know? No, <laughs> no. And uh, from then on, I was the boss man. So yep. then many years later, I not many years later, let me see, 1987, um, we are getting ready to set up the Pontiac Silverdome on NBC and they need me to uh, do something spectacular in a battle royal for Andre. Uh, do you remember what that was? He headbutted me. Yeah, uh, I think blood. he busted your nose open or something, didn't he? Yeah, it was a self-inflicted razor blade wound to the head okay. and I still have the scar. And um, he, he, he headbutts me, he throws me over the top rope and um, you know, I was happy to do it for, you know, the cause, you know, uh, yes. and, uh, but it would have been nice if I was on the card at Pontiac Silverdome, it mm-hmm. would have been nice. I wasn't. And uh, I got my revenge about a month ago. You know what they did? What? Uh, they imploded the Pontiac Silverdome <laughs> and I'm, and I'm still doing great. Yeah. Well, we should have stuck with the, uh, yes, the, uh, the work on this and the, uh, he, he just he busted your nose open. It was broken and just splattered across your face, blood everywhere. But yeah, we'll tell the truth. So it was blade. Okay. <laughs> but you were good well, with Andre I, and, and that's not, that was not an easy, uh, accomplishment. Well, I had to, I got him a deck of cards. So I felt like the mouse that pulled the uh slit of the um the thorn out of the lion's now, paw <laughs> and now we're friends for life right yeah 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 i know but, i you know, know i was i was good with andre i don't know uh you know what it was but like you were either he did or he didn't that was you know there was not really there was no gray area there with with andre because there are a lot of people he didn't like and they knew it and they just they just stayed away well but, you know uh, why he hated my brother why Okay, I've got your suspense now. See, I'm trying to be colorful. Well, see, I, 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 I think I know the story, but see, I want to hear it. So, yeah, tell me. 
I give you two words, baby oil. Mm-hmm. No baby oil. <laughs> and uh, and Randy you get says, slippery. You're slippery when you do that. Yes, your gimmick is do, being the giant. My gimmick is baby oil. <laughs> Randy wouldn't bend. And I even yeah. I even told him, Randy, why don't you just give up on the baby oil just for Andre? Yeah. He says no. I got a. There's no exceptions. You know, uh, Randy spent an spent an hour in the sunbed every day. He mm-hmm. owned a sunbed when he was home. He lived in Florida and got Mr. Sun, the real sun, the actual sun. You know, when he can't, when he could, he got the real sun, and he supplemented himself with the tanning bed. And right before he put his outfit on, he would put baby oil on. And Elizabeth wore a uh, plastic glove and put baby oil on his back. Yeah, yeah, that was a part. And, a lot of the guys did that. Man, it's tough to work on the ring sometimes. So you got, you know, you were slippery. Some of the guys, uh, you know, a lot well, of guys didn't was, like that. Andre didn't like it, and yeah. Randy didn't bend to him. Yeah. You know, I think he should have. He would have saved himself a lot of grief. Yeah. Um, well, you know, you, you talk about you talk about Randy though, the, how meticulous he was about, it was like it was detail with him about, you know, with like with the outfits and people. I don't think. Uh, People realize, you know, how much, and he was not, he was, he didn't, uh, he was frugal, I would say with his money. Uh, when, uh, but he spent what he, that, you know, just so like the businessman he was, he spent a lot of money on those outfits, right? Yes. And he was frugal, but you're talking to a man that was even more frugal than both my father and my brother. Yeah. Okay. But I mean, he knew, so, he knew business. Like if I, I have to spend this money to, to, to make more and, uh, and he did. I mean, some of those outfits say that, you know, the. Yes, but all... Sean, let me interrupt. Let me interrupt you. Um, yeah. It wasn't he didn't spend the money flagrantly or unwisely. Yeah, he was. He was in cahoots with his accountant, mm-hmm. tax man, and he knew exactly what percent of the based on the money he was earning, he was allowed to spend on his costumes and wardrobe uh, to be a write off for his taxes. Uh-huh. And he spent the maximum amount every year on his costumes. So it wasn't just the guy. Um, you know, I love Ric Flair, but Ric Flair didn't do that. He just spent the money on his costumes. Yeah. Yeah. Randy was scientifically allocating funds from his um, from his income to uh, intelligently spend the correct amount on his costume. Yeah, so he was he was uh, uh, smart when it came to business. Yes. And, uh, and uh, you know, because I wanted to ask you about, I don't know how much you know about the whole, um, you know, merchandise was gigantic uh, early. When I know when I was there, they had all, all kinds of, you know, different kinds of merchandise. But the boys weren't getting a cut. Uh, and I know that, Hulk was one of the first who really was able to say, Hey, you know what? <laughs> you guys are making a lot of money off this. I want, I want, I want my piece. And I was Randy the same way. Did Randy, uh, you know, not only become wise to that, but how did he get himself, uh, to a point where he was getting a piece of that? Well, I, if what you're saying is true, that Hulk must've changed it for everybody because, um, yeah. We were all getting a piece of it. Uh, I, I still get royalties. Okay. Wow. Um, yeah. Quarterly. And um, 
So, no, Randy never um, bossed Vince around in that manner. However, when he got to the WCW, that's mm-hmm. when he implemented um, his um, aggressiveness. Really? So he never he, he never was, because I always thought, uh, you know, that he was really sharp, like he was shrewd when, when it came to business. And I, and, you oh, know, like I said, I don't think it was a matter of bossing Vince around. I just think that, you know, he was a, he, he separated that. This is business and this is what I, this is what we do. And so I always, uh, I'd heard that, that he was part of that and maybe, you know, you'd know no, better listen, than Randy, me. Randy loved Vince. Yeah. The only reason he quit is because of Vince has himself surrounded by his minions. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I could mention, um, I could mention names if you want me to, but uh, you know who they were. Yeah. Um, it was um, it was his minions, okay. And when he left, he he convinced Slim Jim to go with him. That mm-hmm. was that was the first in a number of exciting, uh, fantastic maneuvers he made. And yeah. then, um, so he had he, he had he made a lot of money there uh, down south. You're saying he sure did, and um, when he got Slim Jim, you know he he cut it. The pie chart was different then. He got the lion's share of the money. Uh-huh. And so, did he actually but, get paid by the uh, with a contract with WCW uh, as well? Because yes. uh, okay, because people are throwing stuff out there like there that he didn't that that was his deal that he didn't get paid. But, Randy wouldn't have left Vince if, if his minions hadn't called him old. Yeah. And said he couldn't work with Shawn Michaels. Yeah. And, um, you know, Randy felt loyalty to Vince. Mm-hmm. And, um, but when they say you're too old, um, and like I say, it wasn't Vince, it was his minions. And yeah. the minions got to, you know, make a lot of decisions. Yeah. Well, and, and leading up to that uh, time before he left, uh, things started to go downhill between uh, him and Liz. Um, what happened from from your viewpoint? Well, I don't want to speak ill of the dead, um, yeah. so I won't. But what happens to any marriage? Um, you know, my wife wasn't on the road with me, yet she... Divorced me soon after uh, I lost my job with Vince. You know, people, uh, I don't know. See, when you say I love you forever, sometimes that's I love you as long as it's good. So, so did you um, get, did you get along with her? Well, I mean, did you, were you close? I was, I don't say I was super close, but I liked her and she liked me. Um, Close is uh, not a not a good word here, you know. Okay. You know, uh, I was never uh, close enough to be in suspicion. Yeah. But and, you, uh, uh, but, I, but you talk. Go ahead. It's a it's a tough life, you know. Uh, on oh, yeah. the road, it's not yeah. it's not for everybody. But uh, she did get some stardom out of it, and uh, they did very well for a while. And then yeah. she got sick of being on the road. Then she got sick of being at home. Then she wanted Randy to get off the road and Randy didn't want to get off the road. And then she dumped him. Yeah. So that's in a nutshell, that's what happened. Yeah. Um, and, and did that, and I mean, other, that, 
that destroyed him uh, at that time. It didn't. No, I'll tell you what. It destroyed him for a while. Yeah. But then he bounced right back like a Super Bowl yeah. and became, uh, I'll tell you what, his life after Elizabeth, uh, if you thought he was going to lay down and die, you'd be wrong. He, he actually, uh, he got, he got taken to the cleaners and then, and then he went to the WCW and became, um, better than ever, uh, financially and, uh, in every way because he reunited back with Lynn, who was his first love. Yeah. Um, you, talking about the WCW and uh, a lot of the people that I've talked to that, that went down there, it wasn't a great experience for them. They, they say maybe early on and it was guaranteed money and they didn't have to travel as much, but it seems in, in overall to many of them, it wasn't a great experience. Uh, was that the case for Randy in the end or, or did he see it? Like you just said, it, uh, financially set him up pretty well. Um, he probably could call his own shots when he was there. Uh, what was that experience, do you think, like for him when it was all said and done? Well, what he told me was there's a reason that Vince McMahon, uh, he, beat, he beat billionaire Ted, he beat a federal grand jury. Um, Vince McMahon, he told me, was the greatest man he'd ever met, and I agree. You know, as far as as far as capability. Now, I know some people that get very upset if a button works loose in their sweater. Vince McMahon, he can take any pressure and he acts like he's 10 feet tall. Um, you know, and he's in the trenches. When I was at the Hall of Fame inducting Randy into the Hall of Fame, he was there before I got there. He was there after I left. He's there. He's in mm -hmm. the trenches. I think this guy hasn't left the trenches since I got fired. Yeah. Yeah. He's amazing. But with that in mind, I mean, what, what did Randy think of that experience with the WCW? Uh, did he have regrets? Uh, or did he see no, he, it as a... He wishes he would have got to wrestle with Shawn Michaels yeah. and stayed in the WWF. Yeah. And, uh, but, you know, when, when Pat thinks you're too old, you got to go. Yeah. Oops. Well, it's funny, they all keep coming back, so... That didn't that didn't hold true for very long, and still doesn't. Uh, what were you doing all this time? I mean, I know he, he wanted to bring you in the WCW, but is it true? I mean, you had a contract that they never. I mean, they paid you, and you didn't do anything. That's right. That's right. For how many I years? Was, <laughs> enough to enough to put me uh, where I am today. Where am I? <laughs> um, here's where I am. Uh, my passive income is greater than my monthly expenses. And um, I haven't, I've been retired for 20 years. Uh, that's so, not bad. <laughs> well, that the ain't thing bad. Is, um, well, let's go way back to 1973, back in the days when $400 was a good week. Yeah. Um, no matter how little I made, I always managed to save $200 a week. And if wow. you spend, if you save $200 a week, you're going to have more than $10,000 at the end of the month, at the end of the year. Yeah. Okay. Uh -huh. It took me seven years, um, to save my first hundred thousand mm -hmm. dollars. And I would save $200 a week, even if I didn't eat. That's how important it was to me. Wow. So when I got my first hundred thousand dollars, that was still seven years before I met Vince McMahon. 
So I didn't start making the big, big, big bucks until I met Vince McMahon, because when you work as a jabroni for him, you made more than uh, you make as a main eventer anywhere else. Mm -hmm. So, um, what was your, what was your best year with them? What's, what's the, what's the most you made for with them with, with, yeah, with the WWF then. $168,000. $168,000. Yeah. In that's a lot of money then. Yeah. It, and it you, sure was. So were you investing this whole time? Did you, what'd you do? Um, you put it in a pillowcase. I would hope not. <laughs> no, listen. Um, I, I actually traded stocks for two years. Uh-huh. And then I was really proud of myself because, of, but then I realized if I just put it in a mutual fund, I would have done better than my trades. Yeah. And I said, well, this is ridiculous because, um, you weren't the genius so, there. So, you know, it was, it was fun to do, but I, my every day was filled with fear and grief. Yeah. Yeah. Right. You know, and I, and I used a method of dollar cost averaging. If it, if it went up, I sold, if it went down, I bought more, which lowered the, you know, the target price. Yeah. And it was, you know, but between the bid and the ask and everything and all the things you had to learn. And, um, it was starting to consume me and it was starting to make me a nervous wreck. And, um, so now I just have the Rip Van Winkle approach. I have, um, financial advisors and I just let them go ahead. And, um, you know, if they didn't do well, I would fire them, but I didn't fire them. So I'm very happy. Yeah. So, so you you didn't have to wait for the macho man's inheritance or uh, anything to set you off, set you for life. You were you were doing pretty damn well on your own. Um, but but who got me the contract? You know, this was yeah. Um, I know, I know, I know, I know. You, and, the, and and the thing was, my divorce hit me hard too. So um, and that just came just in time. So I am not. I don't think you'd call me a self-made man, but um, I. I have a beautiful picture of a macho man um, several places in my house, and um, I take my hat off when I go by. Yeah. So, uh, Lanny, a lot of people don't know. I mean, we, uh, you know, uh, Randy was in the WCW, did a lot there. As you said, he he did fi- well financially. Um, it really kind of wrapped up in 2005. He would do other things beyond there. But uh, I don't think a lot of people know – what went on in his life after that point in time till, till his death. And did you guys, were you, uh, close to each other? Uh, it, it just, you know, physically, I mean, were you able to, you know, live in the same, were you close in, in proximity? So you saw each other a lot and what did he do? Uh, what was he up to during that whole time? Cause he just, you know, kind of disappeared. Uh, I'm sure he was just living his life and, and enjoying himself. That's right. Uh, he was, he was living in a place called mansions by the sea on the 10th floor. He had a little penthouse going for himself on the sunset beach in treasure uh-huh. Island. Uh-huh. And, um, you know, you know, he was a sun worshiper. You remember that with a tan he had, right? Yeah. Oh yeah. So he, he'd be on the beach every day, every day, every day. And then finally the dermatologist gave him some bad news about his face there. And he says, "Uh Oh, you got some, this, this, and this, and this, and this, you got some precancerous cells. And he said, Oh no. So, um, he sold his place on the beach 
and he bought a place in Seminole, an acre and a half. Uh-huh. And um, he spent the rest of his, uh, the last seven years of his life fixing up that place. Um, he liked to, um, of course, he had a lot of help, but he liked to do a lot of things on his own. Uh-huh. Um, and he was next door neighbors to a guy on the Milwaukee Brewers, uh, Brett Maverick Phillips. Brett Phillips. Uh-huh. I don't know if you're a baseball fan, yeah. but um you know, they were they were very good friends and uh Randy died before he got he got uh drafted um in the into baseball um mm-hmm. by the uh Atlanta I'm sorry, the uh Houston Astros. Yeah. Then he then he got traded um and he broke into the big leagues last year with yeah. the Brewers. So uh they were good friends and uh in fact, when when Maverick made his major league debut, he says, "I'm the neighbor of the Macho Man," you know, mm-hmm. and he's telling all about it. He, uh, which I thought it was really great that he did that. Yeah. And so uh, you, so Lanny, you mentioned though at that at that point in in Randy's life uh, that he was at peace and and that he was with somebody that you you think made him happy. I think a lot of people would would feel good hearing hearing that. That he well, was. I'm going to throw one little. I'm going to throw one little um, fly in the ointment there. He was at peace, but after my father died, yeah, he was taking it really hard because yeah. he never ever got over the fact that in 1987 there was a battle royal at the um, um, in New Jersey at the yeah. uh, um, in the what do you call it the um, the Meadowlands in East Rutherford, New yeah. Jersey. Right. There was going to yeah. be and, yep. all the old timers, Lou Fez, um, Pat O'Connor, Killer Kowalski, Gene Kaniski, um, Bobo Brazil, Al Costello, all these, all of my dad's friends. Yeah. And uh, when Al Costello called my dad and said, oh, they just booked me on the battle royal. Um, my dad asked my brother, can you get me on that card? And Randy, I was there when he asked him, he said, don't worry, it's done. And yeah. then a little bit later, did you, did you had you heard the story before? Yeah. And I, and I know the WWF, WWE, uh, you know, Pat and, and company, uh, you know, claim it was an oversight that there was no slight involved, but, uh, obviously Randy didn't believe that. Yeah. Let me, uh, okay. Now you got me mad. Okay. <laughs> Okay. And when I get mad, you know what? Nothing happens. Okay. Yeah. So because I'm not like No, but brother. you know, I know you've heard that. So yeah. Yeah, I know so, it because I yeah. I know it because when I went to the when I went to the Hall of Fame, yeah. Pat gave me a quasi um apology with a denial. Now if you're gonna apologize, don't deny it. If you're gonna deny it, don't apologize. Come on. But but why um, why do you think they would do that though? I mean, uh Okay. The chance to, yeah, okay. Sean, either I'm lying or Pat is, right? Mm Mm-hmm. Okay. So let's just say I'm either lying or mistaken. So never mind what I claim. Let's just say what I can prove. Mm -hmm. The DVD, the Macho Man that my mother is in and I'm in. Yeah. Watch it again for the first time. If you don't have it, go on YouTube. It's there. Unless they've taken it away for copyright infringement. I don't know. Yeah. Or if you're 
if you're paying $9.99 for the WWE Network, I'm sure it's there too. Yeah, like when I said, Pat Patterson but, but like I said, why Pat, why do you think they would do that? I, you know, I yeah, I just Pat, don't. Go ahead. What Pat Patterson is talking about my brother, yeah. and when he's talking about my father, if he says something nice, he's damning him with faint praise. That's all. Damning him with faint praise. Mm. Look at it again. Never mind the fact that I might be lying or mistaken, or that Pat lies all the time. Now, when I was talking to Pat. I didn't talk, I didn't answer him back for two reasons. Number one, um, you're wasting your time. He's going to be dead in the next month. He smells like cigarettes still, and he's 11 months pregnant and never going to deliver. You know, he's 106 years old, and he's got his, you know, he's not going to be around forever. So, but you think you think there was a, a a grudge or something? He was still up. I mean, like I said, I, I, it's hard for me to get my, my head around this because I don't know why the WWF would, would do that, or the WWE, I should say, uh, knowing what that would do to the relationship with Randy. I'm telling you, go ahead and watch the video. Pat says nothing nice about my father and nothing nice about my brother. And since they're both deceased, um, I'm going to say Pat's going to die soon, but not soon enough. Oh, boy. Okay. Uh, let's move to a, a, a much better place. And, uh, when we talk about, uh, remembering your brother and, um, uh, he was one of a kind and he, you know, you talk about, uh, you know, and I, I, I look at it in terms of, I've always just loved entertainment Lanny. You know, it isn't even, it's because I, when I came to the WWF, I'd never really been around, uh, the business. I, I didn't grow up in a place where we got to see it. But I always looked at everything from, uh, and I still do to this day. It's to me, it's what entertains me. What what is entertaining? And he was an incredible entertainer, and that to me is uh, right up there with uh, some of the best I've ever ever seen. And I think that if if uh, he, he's celebrated, not just in the world of professional wrestling, because everybody knew Randy Savage. At one point, when he was uh, at the peak of his career, everybody, it was total mainstream. And he helped bring that business uh, onto that stage. And I think that, uh, you know, if that's the way I will always remember him. I just, besides the professionalism he brought, the, the showmanship, whatever, but he was just to me a great entertainer. You know, you know it's amazing how many people, the, you know, since I survived him, all the people that came up to me, I'm talking about wrestling fans. I'm talking about people that are not wrestling fans. Uh, you, you know, yeah. it's, it's amazing how many people's lives he touched. And, you know, when you think back on wrestling, you think, oh, everybody's a million times, a hundred thousand. You know, like you've seen, yeah. how many wrestlers have you seen? Millions of them. And yet you don't remember any of them. You'll remember him, don't you? Oh yeah, he was memorable, and uh, oh, he broke out of the microcosm of just wrestling, and he got into the Slim Jim commercials, which made it go further. And then he was in Spider Man, and then he was in several talk shows like um, Arsenio Hall, Regis Philbin, all those. You know, yeah. in other words, he eclipsed the 
microcosm of just wrestling. And he, yeah. he was an actual celebrity. Yep. And, uh, you know, and I'll tell you something. He had a bit of a chip on his shoulder about not being a big guy. Yeah. Okay. And um, that's why he felt he needed the costumes so he could make a big appearance because he was only 6'1 in a world of giants. He was uh, bigger than life. And I know that you appreciated being there and going along for the ride. And uh, I imagine you miss him every single day. You know what? He, he, could, he could criticize me and put a smile at my face at the same time. <laughs> he knew how to make a white bread sandwich out of it. You know, hey, you're doing great, but here's a little thing that you could be working on. And that they don't, but don't think you don't, you know what I mean? Yeah. And um, I knew, you know, he had such a great personality that I just feel that, um, oh, so much of me died with him, you know? Um, yeah. And I, you know, it's, every once in a while I catch myself um, thinking, boy, I bet Randy would like to hear. I said, no, oh, damn it. You know, yeah. <laughs> it's like, you yeah. know, but, um, yeah, he was an excellent person and he was all business. And let me ask you something as a wrestling fan, don't you feel a little bit robbed that he didn't wrestle Shawn Michaels and WrestleMania? Oh, absolutely. I, uh, I, when I heard that, uh, when he left, I was, uh, and then was gone for a long time. Yeah. Cause I, I, I wonder, you know, uh, what else he would have done there. And yes, and it would have been awesome to see him with, with Shawn Michaels because that certainly would have been uh, one of the greatest matches in, in uh, WWE history, no question. Well, uh, he uh, he felt offended enough to leave, you know, yeah. but uh, anyway, and they should have taken him back. And, you know, that's what, right when he died, I got a call from John Laurinaitis wanted me to put the Macho Man in the Hall of Fame. Yeah. Um, the very next year that he died, this was in Miami. Mm -hmm. And I said, Randy's wishes were that we go in as the Papo family or not at all. Oh, and that's, really? that's, that's what he wanted. And that's what I told John Laurinaitis. And then, of course, that didn't happen. And it wasn't until, like I say, I'm two years younger, when I reached my 59th birthday, I had an awakening. And I said, the needs of the many outweigh the needs of the few. Yeah. Like from, stars, from Star Trek. And I said, yeah. I said, okay, I had to go to the ICW because I was the younger brother. I, I got robbed of a shot in Los Angeles mm -hmm. because I was the younger brother. And it's not what I wanted to do. I just did it. You know, I got drafted. I did not enlist. Mm -hmm. So I said, I went home and I told my mom, I said, I'm going to put Randy in the Hall of Fame. She says, no, that's not what he wanted. And I said, yeah, I didn't get what I wanted, did I? Mm -hmm. And I mentioned the ICW. And I said, I'm going to do it because now I'm the older brother. I get to make the unpopular decisions. And this is my unpopular decision. <laughs> I said, she says, well, you can't do it because this and that and Randy's wishes. And I said, you got one macho man and you got millions of macho fans. Who do yeah. you want to disappoint? Yeah. 
I said, I got bad news for you. Without the macho fans, there is no macho man. Without mm-hmm. demand, there's no supply. Yeah. So I said, well, I got yeah. to do this for the fans. Yeah. And he definitely belongs there. Uh, Lanny, thank you so much for, for taking the time. I know you're, you've got a pretty busy schedule, even though you're, you're retired with all your millions, which is awesome. Uh, but I know you do a lot of motivational speaking to help kids. Uh, tell me what you're doing on that end, and then also how folks can get a hold of you. Well, the thing is, while every other wrestler was into pleasure, power, and possession, I was into health, wealth, and freedom. Health comes first, and I'm living on greens, onions, and mushrooms, beans, berries, and seeds. So when you <laughs> say I look good for 63, uh, there's a good reason for it. I've had some work done. So um, <laughs> you can contact me through GeniusLannyPapo.com. If you don't know how to spell genius, I feel bad for you. Or, or Go to Google. I, I made a bad leak for you because it's an adverb modifying a verb. It's G-E-N-I-U-S, LannyPapo.com. And um, I love to give speeches and I love to uh, make appearances. So um, if the price is right, I'll be there tonight. Yeah. Now, Sean, thank you for a fantastic interview. Um, sorry I lost my temper just a little bit. But... Um, I'm going to leave I you love with it. You bring it. You bring it. That's what I love. That's what we I'm, want. I'm going I'm to leave you. With, I'm going to leave you with this thought. Watch that DVD. If you've already seen it, watch it for the first time and say, he couldn't even be nice. Talking, you know, on the, on that effing DVD. You see what I mean? Couldn't even do that. So that, so what does that tell you? My father was kept off that battle royal maliciously. Mm. So please feel free to do something physiologically impossible. Thank you. All right. right. Lanny Poffo, great stories about the Poffo family. And of course, your brother, the macho man, Randy Savage. Uh, And you had had, uh, one hell of a career yourself, uh, regardless of how it, it happened. Uh, you had some uh, great moments in the ring. And, and like you said, you had your own main event moments too. And uh, thank you, Sean. And um, thanks for always being um, polite and professional. That's all I remember you as doing your job and doing it well and brightening up everybody's day. All right. Uh, Lanny, thank you so much for coming on. And, and I will have you back. I would love to have you back on. We'll, uh, and I will write you a poem. Yes, you owe me one. All right, everybody, that was Lanny Poffo here on Primetime with Sean Mooney. Wow. Uh, I have a feeling that that conversation was not what you all expected. It certainly rocked me a few times. And it was fascinating to hear Lanny's take on how fortunate he is for the opportunities he knows his brother brought his way. And also some of the stories about Randy that I had never heard before, uh, hearing about his family and, um, you know, He saved his money. So uh, the genius, maybe he really was after all. Uh, Love to hear your take on the podcast. You know, of course, you can reach me on Twitter at Sean Mooney Who. Hit us up on Facebook and keep spreading the word. If you haven't already, subscribe to us on iTunes. And when you do, please give us a rating and a review. It really helps out. Folks, we have another great episode on the way next week. The man behind the music, the man behind the curtain of the WWF WWE. Jim Johnston. 
is going to join us. He is one fascinating individual uh, who composed all of those great themes that you remember back in the 80s and 90s and beyond. And you do not want to miss this conversation. That's going to do it. Thanks for listening, everybody. I'm Sean Mooney, and I'm out. I'm out.